Well, we're back in our truck camper, St. George in Huntington Beach, and we are here to talk about a real doozy of a topic, <laughs> the unpardonable sin, the unforgivable sin, the eternal sin, the mega mortal sin. And we're calling it Don't Think About Pink Elephants because for a lot of people who grew up in the church, when they heard that there's one sin that is unforgivable, and that is to blaspheme, we'll, we'll look at what this means, blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, they thought to themselves, I blaspheme you, Holy Spirit. And they didn't mean to, but it was just something that naturally happened in their heads when they heard not to do it. It was a thought within their minds. And then they thought that perhaps they were damned for all eternity. And this tormenting idea kind of rolled around in their minds. So we're going to talk about ways in which um, we've got that wrong. I mean, you know, young people, anybody, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's an inappropriate interpretation of what's going on. We'll look at why uh, that not only is uh, a false interpretation, but why we need to actually pay a lot of attention to this text because it has a lot to say to us about being faithful and having integrity in moments that really matter. We had a good morning this, uh, this morning. We took the dog out to this spot that has this weird jurisdictional um, <laughs> it's really, emptiness, I guess. Yeah, right? it's kind of, it, well, there's, <laughs> so there's a, it's like where Newport and Huntington Beach, I guess they come together. There's and a river. There's a divide in between. And, and, and so in that one little area, dogs are allowed. Um, it's it's dog anarchy. There's no one in charge. It's an autonomous zone. No, uh, it's uh, you know it's got its own sovereignty and it's dog owners in there, uh, letting the kids uh, you know run there with the dogs. And uh, boy, old Bindi, she is tuckered out right now. Hopefully, she stays asleep because she was running in that ocean. It was low tide, so she was just kind of clipping along in a couple inches of water. Got real worn out. Hopefully, uh, she's dreaming wonderful dreams about running in the water. But uh, what are we talking about today, baby? So, as you had introduced, the title is Don't Think About Pink Elephants. And we are discussing Matthew chapter 12, verses 25 through 32. And I'll go ahead and start reading that passage. It says, Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Every kingdom that becomes divided against itself descends into ruin. And every city or household that becomes divided against itself cannot remain standing. And if Satan casts out Satan and he is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? So if I cast out demons by the power of Beelzebul, by what powers do you folks drive them out? They will be your judges. If, however, I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So how is anyone able to enter the house of a strong man and steal his stuff without first tying up that strong man? Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever isn't with me gathering together scatters. Therefore, I'm telling you, every sin and blasphemy of people will be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Indeed, if anyone speaks a word against the Son of Man, That will be forgiven, but whoever speaks a word against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven, neither in this age nor in the coming age. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) A lot of people know uh, about that that passage. Not a lot of people have a clue what to make of it. Well, and definitely I remember, um, you know, especially in my high school days coming across, you know, that passage and it was like, oh, man, what is this? And... How yeah, do how, I what, avoid this? You what, know, how old do you do you think when you first read it? Um, you know, I, I'm thinking. You know, pretty much probably like even my 
I guess when I got pretty serious about the Bible, would be my freshman year in high school. Yeah. So it was right around. It that wasn't time. something they would they would bring out. <laughs> <laughs> with it's the not... little, you know, bunnies and the and the and the cotton balls that you're yeah, and I on. might have heard it sooner, but I guess it, <laughs> it was like not, finally yeah. at that age where I'm starting to think, you know, about myself, my own actions, and like wondering, you know, how you know how do I avoid this, and have I already done it, <laughs> you know? And by high um, school, we were reading quite a bit more in the mm-hmm, Bible, mm-hmm. which is something that I don't think I realized that not a lot of people had. Yeah. So we were in this kind of affluent. Orange County evangelicalism that some people think is is kind of vacuous, you know, uh, or that's that's kind of the the way some people talk about it. But we had a program where there was a lot there was a lot of biblical content, yeah. uh, a lot of study. This was true of the Calvary chapels. It was um, a, a kind of a scene in Orange County where you had a uh, a lot of people getting deep into Bible study and using study tools and caring about the Greek, not a lot of concern for higher degrees mm. or, mm. you know, critical sophistication, but a, a lot of interest in actually getting deep. And that's not true across the board. Sometimes it's, you know, more of a, an emotive thing, but, but you are reading this stuff. And so if you want to take it seriously and you've got to figure out what it means, this is no insignificant text. Right. You get this wrong, <laughs> this could be game over for you eternally. Yeah. And, you know, I, 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 I'm thinking that I probably most likely interpreted it as, um, cause, uh, you know, the, in our evangelical days, uh, especially, like, so I'm thinking of it as if God is coming upon me, sharing his word, and I make a decision to follow Christ. And if I decide not to follow Christ... So the unforgivable, unforgivable sin would be Not unbelief. accepting Jesus, yes, as my Lord and Savior. Right. You not know. entirely detached from this text. There's there's some plausibility there, but, but I think we're going to argue that there's something else going on. Yeah, it wasn't really discussed that much, and people weren't telling me that I, you know, should be worried about it. And so, I, and I'm thinking, it's, you know, it, it's so interesting, too, when I have... There's a lot of times where people ask us quite a few questions. I don't know. I mean, I was just, I didn't really ask a lot of questions, you know? I mean, I, I asked some, but like not a lot. Like this is definitely something I should have brought to my youth leaders at the time when I, mean, I was wrestling through it. I just to figure out how never, to really, never really thought to ask about it, which is, which is strange. Um, Do you have an idea why you didn't? I think I just sort of, I accepted what, they would be telling me as truth. And I didn't really question if I, you just waited for them to tell you what yeah, the question and the answer, what were. I should, yeah. What I should be looking into. Right. Like I, I didn't, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, no, that makes, I think that's true for a lot of us. I think that's one of the biggest things that we at protect your noggin want to help people to change. That's the other thing too, asking too many questions and you get labeled as an unbelieving kid. And I didn't well, want that that's either. True too. You know, like we, want to praise students for asking hard questions, right? not just allow them to. Right. And, and I think, yeah, that a lot of times, I guess I would have interpreted too many questions back in that day at my time, if I were as unbelief rather than, mm. you know, owning my faith. And, and so it really is important, obviously <laughs> to understand what you believe, why you believe it. And, and when something isn't sitting quite right, you know, Bring up that question, even as adults, you know, we're not even just talking about kids here. Like as adults, as we, if we see something, you know, I mean, that's part of even with us looking into, you know, some of these passages, like, you know, it's like, what about these ones that kind of always hit us a little bit differently, right? Yeah. And wanting to d- dive a little deeper into it and what's being said here. So definitely there are some folks that 
had thought this was a very traumatic verse. Um, and Donald Capps and his article, Religion and Child Abuse Perfect Together, we've talked about this already before, but I think it's important for us to uh, bring this up again. Um, this was done in the Journal of... Uh, Journal for the Scientific Study of Religion in 1992. And there's a quote here. uh, He's talking about the tormenting nature of the misunderstood or misapplied religious teachings in general. And this is specifically in connection with the unpardonable sin. As I have asked the persons with whom I have had lunch to recall any experiences they might have had as children when a religious idea caused them such torment. Recollections of such experiences did not always come easily, but but all were able to recall instances in which a religious idea taught by a well-intentioned adult caused unnecessary, even gratuitous suffering. One reported that as a child, she believed that she had committed the unpardonable sin, but wasn't sure that she had because she didn't know exactly what it was. Assurance that if you are worried about having committed it, you haven't committed it were ineffectual. Now, now it, it's hard to know why they're not effectual, Mm-hmm. But what that's referring to is the idea, especially in you know the quick uh, and easy answer books for evangelicals, it was always going to be tell the people if you're if you're a counselor, if you're a pastor, a youth worker, tell people that are worried about this that they've committed the unforgivable sin. That if they're worried about it, they haven't committed it. And in a sense, that's totally true. Right. Right. So what we're going to talk about, we we still haven't defined it as we understand it, but whatever this is, if you're worried that you had committed it, <laughs> if you have a conscience that's that's troubled, then you haven't committed it. Rest assured. <laughs> yeah, right. So I mean the unpardonable sin has something to do with a willful opposition to truth, mm-hmm. a defiance of truth and a sense in a sense it's a um uh, it's a hardening of the conscience. So once somebody's got this very sensitive conscience, they think they've committed it. Yes, they haven't committed it. Still not quite enough. I think it also is an easy answer. Uh, Simplistic, when, yeah. When right. you're not... If you don't know. When you're not totally sure how to answer the question. I think that's an easy answer to give often when you're not quite sure yourself or or it might be too difficult to explain or whatever, which I don't think is that difficult if you really do understand it. understand it. But if you, you know, don't, I mean, this is, I think... It's an very ap- difficult. But an application of it is, if you're handling some fire and you're not sure quite what to do with it, don't bring it out with the kids, <laughs> you see? So it's okay if we have no idea what's going on somewhere in a text, in philosophy, in science. It, it happens all the time. We don't know what we're talking about sometimes and you just go, well, admit it. If you're ignorant about something... Recognize this. And I would say, too, even if your answer is, well, if you are worried about it, then you haven't. But let's look into this a little bit together. Because for me, I wouldn't have appreciated that answer because then I would have been worried, well, what about in the future? Right. (laughs) You know, like, how do I avoid it? Because even if I haven't yet, that's only going to take me up until now. What about, you know? Yeah, you want to get a deep understanding. You want to get a deep understanding of something. And I think sometimes, you know, other people have sometimes responded that uh, this was something only in relation to Jesus's time. That's another way to make it easy mm-hmm. for, for folks. Can you explain that, that thinking a yeah, little bit? So the idea is, and this is true, the context of the, te- uh, of this passage is that Jesus is healing on the Sabbath. There are religious leaders that are criticizing him for doing this. And they're also trying to figure out what to make of the fact that this guy seems to have some supernatural power, supernatural power over people who are um, apparently possessed by evil spirits. Well, if he is 
if he's doing these wonders, if he's casting out these demons, um, that would seem to make him like a prophet, mm-hmm. you know, like a miracle worker of God. But they don't want to accept this. There's a there's a reason why they have a they have a, a vested interest in this not working out. That Jesus is not um, somebody special, mm-hmm. and so and so the idea is that they are claiming that Jesus is casting out demons by the power of the demonic, right. that he's essentially using Beelzebul or Beelzebub, um, this uh, potentially Lord of the Flies character. Like kind of the prince. prince of demons. Yeah, it's, it's, it's important to know that, that it is not consistent over the centuries and place to place in ancient Israel or in Christianity, um, whether or not these names are the same people or the same entities or whether they are um, roles that, that are played or whether or not um, there might be a hierarchy of demons, right? Mm-hmm. So is, is Beelzebub Satan? Is Satan Satan? I mean, who are these people? Uh, that's for another time. But the main thing is here that, that they are claiming that Jesus is using the power of darkness to cast out darkness. And so some pastors will say, don't worry about it. As long as you don't think that Jesus perform miracles through the power of the devil, then you haven't committed that sin. Okay. That's pretty simplistic. Simplistic. It's not just simplistic. It, it allows us to basically punt on the text mm-hmm. so that we don't have to worry about it because it's not in well, our context. Well, and yeah, and, and <laughs> we have the power of hindsight, right? <laughs> Looking at the Bible and, and, you know, it's like, so, right, sure. so here it is from this advantage. It's I mean, that's pretty, pretty easy, easy. Yeah. To, to say, well, we don't, you know, we didn't agree with what these people were saying and we, we vote Jesus, right? Put a thousand people into a high school, <laughs> you know, soccer stadium. I'm pretty sure zero of them. Maybe one, but zero, zero of them on average who will think that Jesus was demonic. Some will think he was a great moral teacher. Some might think he never existed. Right. Some will think he is divine but not fully God. But almost nobody thinks that Jesus is satanic these days. So that is everybody's off too. the hook. Think you about know? that. You know, that, that is interesting. Yeah. And uh, so what's funny is when he, when he says here, so if I cast demons out by the power of Beelzebul, by what powers do you folks drive them out? Hey, first of all, are they driving out any demons at this time? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we don't, if, we, if they are, we don't know that they are, right? So you could assume that they aren't. But then also, you know, he's asking that, like, so what is the power? What, what, and maybe if they realize that they don't have the power to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it says here, it says, they will be your judges. And so... Whatever power they're using, whether, you know, if it's not working, I mean, that just speaks for itself. The other thing I think is interesting, too, is that, you know, he talks about how house divided against itself will fall. And so how can Satan cast out Satan's demons, right? Because otherwise he's just tearing apart. He's dismantling his own system (laughs) if if he's taking away his powers from other people. Right. Yeah. Now, this doesn't mean that just because some weirdo, some quack or some uh, televangelist is doing very high profile demonstrations of spiritual warfare. This happens, you know, like casting out the demon of lust in some 19 year old kid that comes up onto the stage. Just because somebody is casting out demons on stage Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you should trust this person. That's not what we're saying at all. Well, and he all 
he also adds, though, by whatever whatever power they are using, let that be the judge, right? Yeah. So ultimately, it will either stand or fall. I think. And I think it's I think it's not explicit here, but I think one of the things that's going on is that Jesus is kind of calling them demonic. He's saying, mm-hmm. "All right, let's 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 see, let's see who who's who's whose gang are you really in?" Well, and that leads us to we mentioned in our in our study. Uh, John eleven forty eight, where we're getting a, a glimpse of the political discussions that are going on from Israel's leadership, right? And here, they record a conversation in the Sanhedrin where some are arguing that Jesus's works and in teachings are dangerous, and and they're really dangerous because they're going against basically the Roman imperial power, right? Yeah, right. And and this is something that's been really important. We've we, we may have mentioned, we've mentioned on the show that we've been sitting in on some of these really great um, talks from high profile Jewish scholars from, from top notch universities around the world. And the way we were able to do it is because we were able to say, oh, wait a minute, instead of going to all the different conferences, we would have had to drive around to, <laughs> yeah, to go check true. out. We can do it from our couch. So instead of watching a lot of TV, you might want to do this. Go check out nonprofit organizations that were going to have lectures and that they're they're now making them available. Our university is doing this. We're doing this, you know, so, um, so to pick up on it. But one of the things that's been, been really helpful for us as we're looking at the teachings of Jesus is to be aware of a lot of the anti-Semitism that has either caused bad interpretations or has been derived from bad interpretations. Jesus is a Jewish uh, rabbi in a sense, but he's unofficial and he is he is in this mode of argument that would have been expected at the time and continues to be expected mm-hmm. in, in Jewish religious circles. Everybody agreeing dogmatically on all points of belief is something that's much more of a Protestant thing. To some extent, a Catholic thing, definitely not. For most forms of Judaism, a Jewish thing. Mm. You're Jewish if you're Jewish, and then you have the fight. You know, you have the, the argument, and it's an in-house argument. So Jesus is doing this, and, um, and the question about what to do with Jesus isn't as if you've got Jesus who opposes uh, true Judaism, and then Jude- Judaism opposing Jesus as this new religion. What's going on is that, like any movement— there is a di- disagreement about how radical the movement should be. Mm. Should it be a violent movement? Should it be vocal? Uh, should it concede some things to the powers? But basically what's going on is that Jesus is asking the community to, community to be more Jewish mm. in some ways. He's going to redefine some of the ways that he thinks they have, they have misinterpreted uh, the execution of Torah, the execution of, of God's law, but he, he wants to fulfill it, right? He, he thinks this is the thing to do. And, and there are people within the leadership of Israel that realize that Jesus might be onto some good things, but that this is going to pose a problem. But the big problem is, again, it's not that the Jews are trying to kill Jesus. It's that Jesus is going to um, present a problem for the relationship between Jerusalem and Rome and that there are some people who are benefiting from this. Not all of the Jewish people. In fact, most of the Jewish people were not. It was the 1% essentially that were 
sometimes not even, not only not being good Jews in terms of their religious practices, uh, but sometimes they were kind of questionably Jewish in terms of their commitments and even, you know, uh, background. But they were working with the publicani, the tax collectors, who were tax farming for Rome, and that Rome really needed places like Palestine to keep bringing revenue back to uh, the empire. And, uh, you know, yeah, this is, and this is the whole thing. And so in that collaboration, in, it, it's kind of like Vichy France. Um, you're not talking about, if, if you're against Vichy France, you're not against France. You're for, for France, mm-hmm. right? Uh, when the underground uh, resistance is opposed to the collaborators with the Nazis, that's not to be interpreted as them being anti-French. And in the same way, as we interpret these things, Christian communities should be very clear that when Jesus is calling out certain religious leaders, he, he should be interpreted as somebody who represents for all time and places a, a voice that is critical against abuses of religious power. In this case, his context was religious Judaism, but it could be applied to Christianity, it could be applied to Buddhism, uh, if, you've, if you've got an, an abusive uh, Roshi or something, right? It's, it's a phenomenon that happens all the time, but this should not be understood in anti-Semitic terms. But most importantly, what did they want to stop they wanted to stop Jesus from causing so much trouble that they lost. And that was the text. What was the text against, Stacey? Uh, that was in John eleven forty eight. What's going on with the Sanhedrin is that important people that have a financial and status um, interest in the status quo, right? They want to keep things the same. Jesus is going to threaten to take away that that privilege. Right. And so this is where this... Uh, this is so important for our day because we're, we're here and we're hearing, you know, sirens as, 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 they're, as they're going around. We've, we've been very, you know, close up to seeing some of these things and they're very, they're, there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of uh, concern, but there's also a lot of people that don't want to be concerned. There's a lot of people that want to say, I don't like the way you're protesting mm-hmm. or don't cause too much trouble not because we fundamentally disagree with your cause, but because if you cause too much trouble in the way you do it, I'm going to lose something. Right. I'm going to lose my ability to... Uh, well, maybe feel safe, maybe... Well, feel you safe know, for sure, um, yeah. You know, uh, uh, to hold on to all of my possessions that possessions, I want. Possessions, benefits. Or the way I'm doing business, you know. I mean, there's so many different implications. So the idea is then, do you care about your politics more than you care about the teachings of Jesus. That's kind Bingo. of what's going on here with, during these times Your politics Jesus, and your right? affluence. Right. If you follow Jesus, if these people, if the Sanhedrin followed Jesus, they would be also joining with the oppressed people of Israel. And so they that's would, a dangerous movement. It's a very that dangerous movement. he is movement. asking for here. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 politi- and th- these are politicians. And so Politicians do this all the time. They fail to support the people they're supposed to be representing and protecting because their privilege and their own interests come first for them. And so Jesus is calling this out is what I think is going on here. So then what if, I think what we we question here is um, what if the main sin then is they knew darn well what the truth was, but they weren't going on and ignoring it because they wanted for the sake of their own advantage, right? They wanted to save them their own self. So they knew what they should do. Mm -hmm. They knew what was right. Yep. And yet they wanted to 
pass it off as the workings of the devil or Jesus using the power of the devil so that they wouldn't have to confront what, that that this might actually be the power of God at hand. And you said it, that's it. That's what's going on here. That, and, and, and look at the application for today. Mm. How many times has, especially when we're going to focus on America here for a second, how many times has the American evangelical church have, have Catholics and denominational Protestants that wanted to have access and influence and privileges from um, the powers that be, how many times have they betrayed the cause of Jesus and betrayed the people that they're supposed to serve in order for them to have cushier jobs, to have access to power. I mean, this is a dangerous thing. And this is actually where this, this comes to haunt all of us because we don't always know all the ways in which we are compromising compromising or being hypocrites. Mm -hmm. Um, And we don't, and we also know that there's a lot of times when there are things that we know we should do that are hard to do. And so it takes us a little bit of time. You know, you're in a bad relationship. It might take you some time to get out of it. Um, maybe you realize that, you know, you're, you're working for um, uh, a corporation that is exploiting labor in sweatshops. And it you know, takes you a couple of weeks to, you know, polish up your resume. We get this. But what this text is saying is, if the power of God comes to you and you know for sure what's really going on here and you fail to support the truth, to support goodness, and to support uh, what is beautiful in the world because of this self-interest, this is inexcusable. Now, it's really important that we, for just at least for this moment, for this study, ignore or like bracket out questions that might come up about heaven and hell. Mm -hmm. If we could just get the afterlife out of this for a second and, and think about this concept as inexcusable. The inexcusable sin. Mm-hmm. It is reasonable for people to say, I'm not sure that this, this illiterate Galilean is the sage, is the prophet, is the one. And that's okay. If, yeah. you, if you're not sure about Jesus or for sure, you know, like, hmm, who is this man? He's saying these crazy teachings. That's fine. But when, when you recognize something that he is saying is truth and you understand that this is And you see the power. Thing, and then you go on to... Deny it. Yeah. Slander that power. Yes. And it's not even, you know, you can even, it even said you can slander the son of man. Yep. You can blaspheme against the son of man, but you cannot blaspheme against the whole, the Holy spirit. So, so again, in, in the United States, American evangelicals have for the last few decades enjoyed privileges and concessions and opportunities from uh, m- more of the kind of conservative side of the political spectrum in in our our government, mm-hmm. and uh, because of this, it seems that we see a lot of an er- I think there's a lot of uh, eroded confidence in evangelical leaders, Protestant leaders. We've talked about Catholic, Protestant, all, all of them, because they very clearly seem to be making excuses for evil. Okay. And I would argue that that is very close, at least, to what we're, we're seeing here with Jesus. That what they're doing is they're saying they're going to cross their fingers or they're going to kind of, they're going to hold their nose as they do something or say something or support someone that they know is acting in, in unjust ways. But for them to do anything else would 
um, be lead, disruptive or well, but it would it would lose them their position. Is what Jesus says is if you're not for me now you're against yeah. me. So you are yeah. now working against the kingdom of God. But, and just like when Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness, says, "Hey, look, bow before me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world." Evangelicalism has said, you know, well, okay, we'll bow, <laughs> but because your name isn't Satan, because it's power, money. Wealth, excess, ecological degradation, disregard for um, uh, so immigrants, as, and as we said before, so you might you might have what appears to be the right logo, but mm-hmm. do, do you have the right mission? Right. And did your logo get co-opted? Right. And slapped on something that is evil? Right. That's what I'm yeah. saying. And so that if the mission no that, longer matches what your you know, what the name is, that that's slander. <laughs> that's blasphemy. If if, it, if you're calling yourself Christian. But then you're working against the teachings of what Christianity and what Jesus was teaching. Yeah. Then you're no longer you're 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 stealing the label, but that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I like I like how you connect it to that first part, though the word blasphemy, mm-hmm. because blasphemy is where I think a lot of this goes wrong, right? So I think the the reason a lot of people don't understand this text is because what they hear it saying is. If you say some like satanic curse, like, you know, I curse you, Jesus, or I, I, I blaspheme you, Holy Spirit. It <laughs> sounds like this very weird religious kind of thing. I blaspheme you, Holy Spirit. How does that compare to taking the Lord's name in vain? <laughs> it's exactly taking the Lord's name in vain. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, it's um, because taking the Lord's name in vain isn't stubbing your toe and saying, gee, damn. <laughs> right. It's speaking for God when you don't have authorization. Right. It's saying that God wants us to, you know, and then fill in the blank with something evil and not true that God didn't authorize you to say. So, so it's, it's um, false, false witness. And, and so um, to kind of to go back to what this the blasphemy is, it's slander. It's not, it's not a religious thing. It's saying it's bearing false witness, but about something sacred. Yeah. So what Jesus is saying is that if you, if you speak slander, if you, if you speak slander against me, but all you've got to work on is the fact that I say that I'm doing the right thing, that's excusable. Okay. So if you want to like, let me paraphrase this for you. He's basically saying, I'm just some guy who doesn't look all that sophisticated. I don't have any big titles. My name's Yeshua. Nice to meet you. I just cast out some demons here. Um, and I'm going to tell you about a new kingdom that's coming. And if you say, this guy's a crazy guy. Mm-hmm. He's a madman. That's acceptable. You, there'll come a day when I want to, Jesus says, bring you into my fold. You're going to be part of our team soon. Mm-hmm. There will come a day when that will be forgiven. That will be excused. That's what we have to think about this as. If you are... Um, if you are out fighting in your community for justice and and the good, and people don't understand what you're fighting for, uh, but someday they do, forgive them and welcome them back in. If they say, oh, I thought that you were just about, you know, and then th- you'd have a conversation, right? Yeah, and so then, we were talking about one of the prior lessons with mm-hmm. the lost sheep and, yeah. you know. When those people come around... Welcome them with open arms, just like the Lashi, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, there's more rejoicing over somebody who used to have their little, you know, 
camp on the wrong side of history Mm -hmm. and they want to come over and to be on the right side of history, bring them on in. You don't want to be a bigot anymore. You don't want to be a racist anymore. You don't want to support, you know, uh, unchecked violence in the world. Mm -hmm. You don't want to put babies in cages on the border. Great. Come on over. All of those blasphemies will be forgiven, which is to say all of those false statements, all of those false teachings, but you're not here blaspheming Jesus. That's like a religious thing that we're thinking. You're not blaspheming Jesus. You're slandering Jesus against Jesus, which means against his testimony. So you're not blaspheming against Jesus. You're blaspheming against Jesus testimony. Okay. Okay. That takes us to the second part. So What's not acceptable is blaspheming against the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So that brings us then to what does it mean to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? So we can, we can slander Jesus, apparently. Slandering it, Jesus against the testimony of Jesus. That's the key. Okay. That would be f- excusable. Right. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not. So what is the Holy Spirit then? So again, that means you're slandering Jesus against the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And what this means is either the power of God or his hand coming, coming into your life and you can sense that power. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you actually all of a sudden are aware that God's at work. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're slandering Jesus despite or against the testimony that is within you of God's power. So you inside you, your conscience, your awareness is clued into the fact that God's actually at work here and you still oppose it. That's what's going on. Or it could have something to do with just the power of like, you know, spiritual presence. So in, in, in the Hebrew texts, it seems like you've got um, basically the, the Holy Spirit being something that, that is m- like a force, like mana um, or, or like electricity, like what we think sometimes in more charismatic circles, there's this, this power. So you're doing something by this power. Plants, in a certain sense, then grow through the power of the Holy Spirit. Prophets speak by the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's because of this divine energy. There's also this idea that the Holy Spirit is something that is, is given to a community or a person, and it's like an endorsement or an anointing of that group or that individual, okay. right? But it's, it's, it's something to do with God's power, but it's not really understood prior to Trinitarian theology as a separate personality within the Trinity or Godhead as Christians would see it. So, so essentially, you could look at it as this. Jesus is just some guy that you met, and he says that he's got something special. He's bringing this kingdom. And that's one testimony, but you don't have a corroborating witness. So who's, who's Jesus' corroborating witness? The Holy Spirit. Which is? God. God. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, if you don't believe somebody that you never met before, or you don't think they've got a good degree or, or whatever, okay, fine. But let's, let's move it into our day. When there's somebody that you don't know and don't trust that has said, um, you know, maybe it's a, it's a church two thing. You know, this person is being abusive. Well, you don't, you don't know if that allegation is true. Okay. Right. But you look into it. Mm-hmm. And, so, if, and when you find out, and if you allow that person to continue. The truth is the power of God. Right. 
Yeah, so once you find out that that's what's going on, and if you choose to overlook it, when, I mean, for your, that is the bless me against the Holy Spirit, right? Because right. you now know the truth and that you are now ignoring the truth for something that might be easier, something yeah. that, you know, it's that that's too difficult path or something. There's too much damage that could be done. Um, now, that doesn't excuse people in this day and age from not believing victims of uh, abuse in mm-hmm. churches, right? Like that's believe, believe these voices that cry out. And but the point is if somebody's like, Hey, th- maybe that person's crazy. Maybe we need to look into it. Fine. That's the first witness, but God is the second witness in the sense that this is truth. Whatever, and, and Jesus even you know, had an extra warning, which we talked about last time. Like, you know, if you cause the children to stumble, right? Like, yeah. So if you know what you're doing and if you're allowing this evil to continue, yeah. I mean, that is, I mean, think about all of the damage this is going to be done. Irreparable so, damage. Right. Yep. And, and, and it's a mortal sin. This is a deadly sin. So we mentioned, you mentioned, okay, put aside the concept of heaven and hell, right? right. But, I mean, it, it says here, uh, speak, uh, but whoever speaks a word against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven, neither in this age nor in the coming age. So what is the, well, we know what this age is then, but what is the coming age? The idea that we shouldn't worry about this being about heaven and hell, or what I'm saying, we should, we should bracket that out. That's very important and very true because, because we want to apply it to this thing, I think, that we can understand very well, that this is something that's either excusable or inexcusable, um, and inexcusable in a very common sense, right? Well, well, part of this is our understanding of what the next life would be. And so there is this idea in the first century that there will be a, a resurrected uh, utopian kind of world, right? That, that, that there's going to be a recreated kingdom. And in that kingdom to come, the sin against the Holy Spirit is also inexcusable. But, but watch what's happening. Let's, let's, again, take it out of that just for our application here for a moment. Let's assume that we are living at a moment that is as scary as it is, a pivotal moment, a momentous time for us to see people taking their own agency, kind of making our show obsolete, hopefully, saying, oh, no, of course it's true that we should think for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Not thinking for ourselves got us into a whole bunch of mess, mm-hmm. right? Whether it was diseases or cults or uh, racial injustice and, 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 and abusiveness in, in the way we do our policing and our privatized prisons. Maybe we all come to our senses and we wake up. Mm-hmm. So let's assume that the recreated world is this worldly for a moment. Right now, if you are listening to the wrong pastors or gurus and that those people are steering you in the wrong direction. They're letting you think that what God wants you to do is to disregard the suffering of people of color or, um, or poor people, refugees, whatever it is. And you, you buy it because you trust in them. And then you take some time and you do, do your research and you realize, Oh no, the way of Jesus is diametrically opposed to that kind of ideology then welcome back to, to family. You're, you're, that's forgivable, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and it's, in, it's in that case that you will feel sorrow over the things that you said in the past or ways that you've acted in the past. And, you know, like we were... And we were, you still might make mistakes. But, you make mistakes but, all the time. But then you're more conscious of it and you can see... You can see it and feel it eventually when it, keep, when it keeps popping up. Or, sure. Or, or, no, I mean, there's mistakes. Or it's brought to your attention. Or right? there's misinterpretations. But what I'm saying, like, like, when I look back on the ways, you know, uh, well, I was talking about this at commencement. 
and I was I was talking about my 39th birthday when uh, Augie, uh, my oldest son, who uh, sh- share a birthday, New Year's Eve. It's great. Right. Um, it was the you know 39 weird weird kind of birthday. Not 40, but 39. You're getting close to it, right? And um, it was the year of uh, life when Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed by the Nazis. And I realized that I was 39. I felt really kind of mm-hmm. like a kid at the time. Mm-hmm. And here was this guy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who had written all of these things. And he had, he had opposed Hitler. I mean, that's, he was a hero. He's a theological hero. And I was kind of feeling like I didn't contribute anything. I was a bum. Mm-hmm. I didn't really do anything great. And, and I was lamenting this. And then Augie, on her birthday, we were kind of talking about it. And Augie said, you know, if you, you know, if you were living at the time of Hitler, you might have done exactly what Bonhoeffer did. And then you would have been great, not because of your, your achievement or, or, or striving, but just by being you, by being true to your values, then you would have been forced into that position. And it would have made some of the things that you did and said maybe more important, right? But that the idea that you're going to go out attempting to be great is kind of ugly. No. That's like a, that's an icky kind of thing. And, and as you said, you would have died. Uh, right. Like a Bonhoeffer. But then I thought, well, wait a minute. No, I wouldn't. I'm afraid all the time. <laughs> I, 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 I make compromises all the time at the grocery store just to kind of avoid discomfort, mm. let alone, uh, let alone, you know, the inquisition of Nazis. Right. So, okay. I hope I would. Thanks for the, uh, you know, th- thanks for the pep talk. Thanks for the encouragement, Augie, thinking that I would. And, and, and some days I feel like I would. You know, I'm just, my problem is I'm afraid of, of needles. So I don't know how I would stand up under torture. But my point is, is that we have been ignorant of all the ways that we could have been more engaged. We just kind of started to get lulled into thinking, well, as long as we've been alive, there's been wars. As long as we've been alive, there's been racism. What were we doing since Rodney King in 1992? Right? Like, why have I been so safe? Right? But sometimes it occurs to you that the time is now. Mm-hmm. And the way that you can do those heroic things isn't to make it all about yourself, but to just stand your ground, to live true in your integrity in that moment and not allow the forces of evil to roll past right. over you. And yeah, and so one of the things that I know, like, has really sort of been speaking to me too, is that, you know, if we believe in America, if we believe in the idea that for liberty and justice, for all. You know, what does that mean? And when some people are crying out saying, I don't have liberty, I haven't seen justice. Mm-hmm. And, and we aren't listening to that. And we aren't looking to see where in our system has been corrupted. Because it's inconvenient for us to listen. Because it's inconvenient. And then we, have to, then we also have to then define, we don't mean all. So justice and liberty for some, you know. You have to. You can't say that you believe in justice and liberty for all, and then turn a blind eye to all of the injustices yeah. and all of the points where it's people didn't have liberty. Inexcusable. So we took us off. We took us off from the uh, the afterlife. In the world to come, if we imagine that we get through all this, mm-hmm. then we're going to have to answer for ourselves on what side of history were we. Right. This is what I think Jesus is saying. Mm-hmm. Jesus is saying. It is forgivable that you kids 
in suburban OC. It's ugly. Right. <laughs> it's it's aesthetically unpleasing. It was morally weak that we did not engage injustice earlier mm-hmm. and call out sin earlier. But okay, you can still come into the party in the age to come in the new kingdom that's coming. Right. We're not going to just exile all of you or ex- ex- execute everybody because that's what happens in 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 in, in secular revolutions in in bloody revolutions anybody who's not on the right team ends up getting crushed afterwards well, one thing also that's in this passage that um that i thought was interesting is jesus is basically saying okay so if i do cast out these demons from the the spirit of of god from the holy spirit right mm-hmm. The, the the kingdom of God has come upon you. Yeah, the kingdom's you know, here. The kingdom's here. Now, the next part it says, so how is anyone able to enter the house of a strong man and steal his stuff without first tying up that strong man? And I think that that is interesting because anytime anybody wants to take away somebody else's power, they first have to restrain them somehow. Mm-hmm. They have to hold them back. Um, and that's the only way to really keep them from being able to protect whatever they need to, or fight against you, right? Mm -hmm. You immobilize them. People are going to do that (laughs) uh, to whoever is not on their side. Right. Right. That's exactly what happens. And, and I think we, you know, we sometimes will think, you know, oh, we, we dismiss in ourselves, I guess, even sometimes that what we are doing, that we'll be restraining other people, right? That will be less making it so their voices aren't heard or, or not allowing them to stand up for themselves. Yeah. People are getting silenced. People are getting restrained. Yeah. And, and, and I think Jesus is saying here, that's what you're trying. You're trying to silence me by blaming a source for my power that isn't the truth, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You're, you're speaking against the fact that the kingdom of God is, is here right now. Mm-hmm. Um, when you say, you know, but you're trying to restrain me by, by saying, anyway, I just think it's an important thing mm-hmm. that we do this all the time. When whoever our, our enemies are, we try to make them powerless mm-hmm. to us. Mm-hmm. And it's the right thing to do. I mean, you want to restrain. You know, Jesus is going to restrain these forces of evil. But you, That's whose how side works. are you on? Whose side are you on? Who are you trying to restrain? Yes. Who are you trying to silence? And it was hard for people to be on Jesus' side because the implications were uncomfortable. And they always they are when you are <laughs> very caught, often when you're well when you're when you are a voice for change when you are a voice for you know the king, uh, the kingdom of God here on earth now. That's not a very popular message. People fight against you all the time. Because you're going against power, yep. status, and money. money. Right? Yep. And those, I mean, that's how everybody gets motivators. that's how everybody gets controlled. It's how one can control other people. Mm-hmm. So so if you're on the wrong side of history, think of it this way. If you are on Twitter and you're supporting kinism, uh, white nationalism, racism, if you're making fun of uh, people who have died at the hands of uh, police violence, all right, see how your grandkids respond to your digital legacy someday. So let's just think of it this way, right? In the world to come, mm-hmm. in the world to come, there are going to be people that are apologizing for not doing something sooner, for not recognizing the ways in which they had blind spots, for not recognizing the way they were tone deaf. 
Um, and again, we've said this before, and maybe you could say, hey, hey, uh, you know, Jeff and Stacy, white suburban kids, you can, you know, you can take a hike. Uh, maybe it's self-serving, but I really believe that Sun Tzu and strategic thought are on the same page here, that if somebody's going to join you in the cause for goodness, truth, and beauty, bring them in. Love them, welcome them, give them, you know, a good dose of uh, education. Let them, let them, you know, figure out what's going on before they get to speak. I mean, I think that's the biggest issue. A lot of times there are evangelical celebrities that are so used to being celebrities that when they shift over to the progressive world or, or the politically woke world, they still want to have the primary place in the conversation. Right, no, it's time, it's time to learn and listen. Yeah, but, but at the same time, what we, we think about is if you are on the wrong side of history, it's really embar- it just is embarrassing mm-hmm. 50 years from now <laughs> to be on the wrong side of history and to have it documented on video or, or on, on Twitter or Instagram or something like this, right, would be a very good indication of what Jesus is talking about. It's inexcusable and it will be inexcusable in for the, the generations to come. Generations to come, we're going to look back and say, you got this wrong, pal, mm-hmm. and you will forever have a legacy of shame. Right. Now, we don't like to throw shame at people, but that's kind of what he's saying. And we were talking about this. Do you remember, Stacey, we were talking about um, uh, Jewish concept of hell? Oh, yeah. And, you, and you've got right a friend here. in Israel, and you were talking about right. She said, what, what did she say? Well, well, she just basically had said that, um, that you know, in her, in her tradition, they don't believe in hell. Right. So she she did recognize that in Gehenna there is like a, a period of time for a year that you pray for your dead relative, um, and it's you know part of their tradition. Um, and then it's only they only last for a year though. It's right? kind of like a year long purgatory. Right. Gehenna itself is sort of that a, a mirrored version of um, of what of paradise paradise yeah, is, and so yeah. where there might be uh, you know flowing rivers of of water and you know and beauty then there's going to be you know fire and and mm-hmm. you know that kind of so it's a it's a if you everything ever, is the opposite so it is a, it's like a hell-like place it's the opposite of paradise right essentially that could be literary i call it i call it like a silent if any of you like a silent hill version of you know paradise basically. there were several silent hills friends if you don't know what stacy's talking about and I, i'm not that don't know that well but i knew but you, from my you played it i know and i knew enough from our, our kids playing it there's the normal world and then there's the hill version of that world everything's kind of rotting and, mm-hmm. and different and so but again that's a it's it, it could be a literary thing again we're not here to adjudicate but all that. But the idea of holding up a mirror. Brilliant. You know, when... That's what who is, you were. What is Gehenna? Then that's a mirror. And and you see in yourself, like, your own, you know, your own guilt, your own failures. Um, you know, anytime you, you know, really look in the mirror, you can... That's judgment. You know, that is judgment. It's shining the light on whatever that was. What it is. And so we, you know, and in that sense, we know that anytime we have... If we ever act against conscience... It is unsettling, and yeah. we are living in a living hell <laughs> until yeah. we face that. I mean, we can yeah, run. We can run we all repent. we want, but right. we're still miserable. Yeah. And, and until you face it head on and repent and change your ways, that's the only time you start to feel any kind of peace. Yeah. You know? Other than that, like, it's, you're just, you're fighting, you're, you're refusing to address something that you know deep down inside, and, you know, you want to 
call it your conscience. Mm. Uh, you know, perhaps it could be the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, depending on <laughs> what's mm. going on. But you, you will be unsettled until you address that. P- p- punchline here for me is, is that whatever the application is, friends, we're not here to scare you. We're here to encourage you, and we're here to tell you something that's true. It's been true for us. It's true for, for and human beings. The last beings. thing we want to do is <laughs> upset you all and say yeah. things. But on the other hand, we can't deny what's on our hearts yeah. and what we feel is being placed on our hearts from the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, and, yeah. and if, you know, and if it is just Jeff and Stacy's words, then feel free to, yeah. <laughs> you know, disregard it all. You know, whatever part this does not ring true to you, you know, if, uh, you know, if you really are thinking about this and you're like, huh, I think they might be a little off. Actually shoot us a, a, an email and if, share with us, you know, where, where we're missing the mark or, or where, you know, where you want to discuss this further. But we're just doing what we feel called. If you have the stirring of spiritual power within you and you realize that we're fundamentally wrong about something and the only reason you don't tell us that you think we're fundamentally wrong is because you don't want the negative emotions of our relationship uh, you know, being hindered or you're just shy about it or whatever. No, what, what, what Jesus is encouraging you to do is do what you know you should do and think what you think you should think and speak right. when you know you should speak. But the, the application of it here, of all this, is, is really pretty clear. You've, you've got an opportunity right now, friends. You're going to research. You're going to think. You're going to listen. You're going to have those ears of mercy and, and continue to grow and to understand the world better and what's going on. But you're going to have a choice on several issues in your life. And you're going to have to ask yourself, are you going to go just with the side of the equation that is going to give you some short-term advantage at the sacrifice of your whole soul, (laughs) right? Your integrity. Um, That's going to be one way you, you do it. The other option is to resolve now to be a moral hero and to, to make your stand. And that is incredibly difficult. And it's almost a daily battle. And I think that, you know, sometimes there can be a, there can be a temptation to stay ignorant. <laughs> yes. So then you could say, oh, well. I didn't realize. I didn't know. I, I didn't realize or whatever. But I think yeah. there are several times that certain things keep coming up that it is our obligation yeah. to do our homework, to do research, to figure out what's going on. And especially when you hear cries of pain, when mm-hmm. you hear cries of pain of people calling out on something, listen, turn your ears on and listen to what they're saying and, and, and really if we ignore those cries, mm-hmm. I mean, we, you might as well be in hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? If you're, if you're on the side of the Just folks who are ignoring, ignoring the cries, cries of people. I mean, you can, you may not agree with everything that you're hearing or, or the whatever, way they're crying, whatever, or, but yeah. listen, listen yeah. and, and, and really hear and, and do some homework. If your kids are, are are acting out at home, and I don't want to be paternalistic about this. I'm not, you know, at, at my application here is to uh, demonstrations and things. But I'm only doing this just as a thought experiment for people who think, don't go and demonstrate right now. Mm-hmm. Right? So there are some people who say, don't go demonstrate against violence and injustice. Because that's bad form. And, and, and be classier about it or, or whatever. I don't know. Um, I would just say that even if that's your thought, think of it as you would with children. If children painted 
graffiti, if they were marking up your, your wall while you're going through a divor- divorce, mm-hmm. you don't have to tell the kids that it's okay to mark up the wall. Right. But you also have to ask the question, why are they drawn on the wall? Right. What are they trying to shout at you? Right. That you're not listening to their needs. Right. And I'm not saying that this is always in that context of, of like kind of the parental role, but there is a power difference here. And the people that don't have power are shouting. Mm-hmm. And that there are people who have power that are not listening. And the thing is, is that when, when you don't have power, the only thing you can do is go against the system. The only thing you can do is cry out. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, what else can you do when you've tried other, other things and you can't, I, there, I don't know, I don't know who, I don't know even where you ever go if you feel totally powerless, unless you just curl up in a ball and you stop living altogether. That's That's really the only other option. You can self-medicate, go into addiction, just stop caring. Right. But otherwise... Anger crying is a sign out, you're still alive. Out, crying out somehow. It's like a toothache. When your tooth stops hurting, sometimes it's because the root is dead. Mm-hmm. When it's hurting, when it's, when it's throbbing, that's what our society is going through. We want to do everything with love and, and, and kindness. But also, friends, I think one of the applications of all of this in, in this second to last chapter, thanks for being here with us on the Protect Your Noggin uh, with Jesus study. But if there is no justice upon justice, baby... There's no peace upon peace. But peace to you, friends. Uh, thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said I wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter low too much.